0: Good to see you. Um, We're here for week three. This is week three of Don't Settle for Christian. And we are taking a, I hope, an in-depth look at that word Christian, what it is, and why to label yourself a Christian is to settle for something way smaller, way less significant, and very much less profound than what Jesus has in mind for you. So we're just going to jump right in. So Christian, that word, is only used three times in the Bible. You'll find it in the New Testament three times. Jesus himself never called anyone a Christian, not once. It's never defined. Like you can't go to the book of Ephesians or Galatians or any other books in the New Testament and find a definition of what it is to be a Christian, So it's never defined. It never came with any instructions like, here's how you do it. Here's how you be a Christian. Here's how you live a Christian life. In fact, it was a derogatory, it was a mocking term used by outsiders. And for me, the most compelling thing is that the people who followed Jesus for the first 300 years never called themselves a Christian, They called themselves something totally different. So where does that word come from? It's interesting. It came from this little town called Antioch. And there was a group of people there in Antioch who were following Jesus. And the culture, the the other people that weren't following Jesus were watching them. I mean, they were suspicious of them. They were watching these people who called themselves, by the way, followers of the way. And they're watching them and the people watching the group can't really understand why they aren't worshiping all of the gods. They don't understand why they've chosen just to worship this one, and he's from Israel? He's a Jew? Why, why would they just worship one God? They don't understand. They also don't understand why these people are so kind and loving to each other and to the community. And you can go back and, and read um, the history of Jesus' followers. Those first 300 years, they were marked by kindness and love in their communities. They would adopt abandoned babies and they would care for the sick and people in their culture just didn't understand. One of the things that really they were hung up on was why are they drinking blood and eating flesh all the time? Every time they would gather, they would, we call it communion, but the outsiders would look in and they'd go, well, they're just a bunch of cannibals. They're so weird. And like, well, most people who don't understand another group of people, if you don't understand why a group of people does something or behaves a certain way, what we normally do is we stick a label on them, right? We call them some kind of name. And so these people in Antioch looked at the followers of the way, didn't understand who they were, what they were doing, and they said, well, they're just little little, little Christs. Now, I want to make sure we're all on the same page. <clears throat> the word Christian means little Christ, But Christ was not Jesus' last name, okay? If that's funny, that's cool, but it's not his last name. People didn't have last names. You were called uh, John, the son of Zebedee, James, the son of Zebedee, or you were the daughter of, or they might talk about you as where you came from. So Jesus was known as Jesus of Nazareth. He came from Nazareth. That's where he was born. So it's not his last name, it's a title, It's a title that he took, that he owns. It means savior. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word that Jesus used, Mashiach, Messiah, but it literally means savior. And so these people in Antioch were watching the followers of the way, didn't understand them, and they knew they were following this guy who claims to be a savior, but couldn't even save himself from a cross. They're headed in the same direction He was, they can't, he couldn't save himself, surely these guys can't either, he's just a bunch of little Christs. It was not a nice thing to call our friends, our forebears, those who came before us. And since then, since there's no definition, since there's no instruction, it just comes with a lot of baggage, doesn't it? For you, just hearing the word Christian, for some of you, brings up a mental picture, and maybe not a good one. Because in our world, you can be a Christian and a Democrat, or you can be a Christian and a Republican. You can be Christian and liberal or Christian and conservative. There are Christians who will tell you homosexuality is not forgivable. And there are Christians who will tell you homosexuality is great. There are Christians who will tell you the Pope is God's man on earth. And there are Christians who will tell you the Pope is the Antichrist. There's just all all these things that we throw under the banner of Christian and it comes with a lot of baggage and it confuses people on the outside and maybe it's confusing you. If you're you're willing to settle for that, you're going to miss out on something way better that God has for you. For me, as I look at this, it just seems like for centuries, people have been willing to just live however they want, do whatever they want, Believe whatever they want, but as long as I can call myself a Christian, I'm good. And it seems to me that it is far too easy to gather around the name of Christ while ignoring the ways of Christ. If you take an honest look at the Gospels and the way Jesus treated people, if you take an honest look at the Gospels and look at how Jesus talked to people on the outside. If you look at the way Jesus lived, it's it's not quite the same as some people, some organizations, some denominations, some churches who call themselves Christian because it's really easy just to call yourself a Christian and ignore the ways of Christ. And We cannot... We cannot forfeit that. It's deceptive and it's dangerous. And there's three movements in our culture today that I think are extremely dangerous. And maybe some of you in the room have been deceived by some of these. I want to start with the most obvious, religious Jesus, where you check a box where you say the right thing and don't say the wrong thing, where you attend the thing, say the right formula, where you earn by your behavior God's love and God's favor. And then if you just do enough of the good things and avoid enough of the bad things, then God will really love you. That is the exact system that Jesus came to end. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, please hear me say this, okay? Okay? There is nothing you could do today to make God love you more, and there is nothing you can do today to make God love you less than He currently does. Religious Jesus is a trap, so is uh, prosperity Jesus. You laugh. some of you watched our friends this morning on the television before you came to church. My favorite thing is when somebody catches me before church and says, oh, I watched oh so-and-so on on the tube today before I came to church to get the real truth. You know, now I come here just to hang out with you. But this prosperity, Jesus, that teaches, Jesus wants you to be healthy and wealthy and have everything you've ever wanted and live your best life. And all you have to do, you Send us a check, and we'll show you how. Support us financially, and God will bless you. This prosperity, Jesus, is dangerous. Let me ask you this question. If you could, and you can, I can hook you up. Why don't you ask a Jesus follower from Bakhmut? Or from Donetsk? Or from... Novograd Volinsky, formerly Novograd Volinsky now Zvogel. Why don't you ask them if they're living their best life? Are they healthy and wealthy and have everything they've ever wanted? See, the prosperity Jesus movement teaches if you're not healthy, wealthy, and have everything you've ever wanted, there's something very, very wrong with your faith. You're not doing faith correctly because Jesus wants this for you. Ask, ask a Jesus follower who's meeting in privacy, in secret, in communist China, How's prosperity Jesus treating you? Not so well. Ask ask some Jesus follower who probably just yesterday met in a hut with a dirt floor in South America or in Africa. They live in their best life. Are they healthy and wealthy by our standards? No, but yet they have faith that you and I could never understand. So this, this Jesus, this prosperity Jesus, is extremely dangerous, and it's a lie. But for me... This is just for me. If I haven't offended you yet, I promise you I'm about to. For me, the Jesus that is most disgusting in our culture is political Jesus. I hate this Jesus. Could I say to you, Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is not a Republican. Jesus is not an American. That did it, right? That did it. That, That was it for you. Right. For any political person or system or party or government to claim Jesus as their own just reduces everything Jesus stood for, everything Jesus taught. And in election season, you will hear people from both sides quoting scripture and telling us how the truth is going to set us free and hold a Bible up in front of a camera and tout Jesus. Jesus transcends our dumb political system. He is way bigger. Nobody owns Jesus, especially a politician. We have wrapped Jesus up in an American flag for so long, we've forgotten who he is, what he stood for. That did it. I know. I understand. Someone once said the truth will set you free. That was Jesus, but then somebody added, but it'll really make you mad first. See, Jesus would say things like this. He would, he would gather his guys together, and he knew this is the last time I'm going to be in a room with these people, these 12 people, and so I really want to make my point clear. So what did Jesus do? He, he makes himself, he takes on the role of the cheapest servant in the house. And he takes off his outer garment and he wraps himself in a towel and he grabs some water and he kneels at the feet of some broken men who were about to leave him and betray him. And he washes their feet in the greatest act of service they had ever seen. And then he says to them, I have something new for you. I have a new command for you. Love each other. And don't love the way you were brought up to love. Don't love the way your denomination taught you to love. Don't love the way the religious system taught you to love. You love as I have loved you. Do you remember just a few seconds ago when I was kneeling at your feet, washing your feet, serving you? Love one another as I have loved you. So you must. It's a command not a suggestion. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my, what's the word? Disciples. If you love one another. That's the word. Disciple. A disciple is somebody who is 100% committed to doing life the way their leader did life. To treating people the way their leader treated people. A disciple, at its core, is a Follower. That's why for 300 years, his people called themselves followers of the way. We're just doing our best to do what Jesus did. We're just doing our best to live like Jesus lived. We're just doing our best to follow the example of our Savior, Jesus. And Jesus never defined Christian, but he did define disciple. The Bible will give you no instructions for how to be a Christian, but there are lots of instructions for how to be a follower. And it's not some semantical debate. Words are important. The words that Jesus used are important. And in fact, Jesus made it very clear from the very beginning exactly what he was looking for. Jesus was very upfront from the beginning of his ministry, what it took and what it cost to follow him. And there was a guy, his name was Matthew, who was a tax collector, very detail-oriented. And one day, Jesus kind of began his ministry by sitting down and teaching a lesson. And Matthew was there, and he heard every word, and he wrote those words down. And you and I can read them today. This is what Jesus is looking for. One day, uh, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on a mountainside. He sat down. His disciples, his followers those original 12 guys and then this whole crowd they gathered around him and so he began to teach them as he was prone to do and he says this is the first time jesus has taught publicly y'all he's done some miracles he's introduced himself but he's about to show everyone who's paying attention what it means to follow him and he says God blesses those who are poor. There goes prosperity, Jesus, right there. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing what's right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you. None of us have been persecuted. None of us have lost a job for following Jesus. None of us have lost a life for following Jesus, but these men would. But you're blessed when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. So be happy about it. Be happy when people lie and mock and persecute you. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way see jesus was making it very very clear the kind of people he was looking for and he was he was saying i'm going to build a kingdom and what i'm looking for in my kingdom is poor sad meek righteous merciful pure peaceful persecuted insulted people who are just looking forward to a reward this help wanted ad is going to gain no traction on linkedin Nobody is going to see this job on Indeed and go sign me up. And yet, this is exactly what Jesus is looking for. And this is exactly what it costs to be a follower. Not a Christian, not a Christian. A follower of Jesus. And then he would go on. He wasn't done. He would go on and he would say, you are, if you're going to follow me, You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is it if salt has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Now, in our culture, salt is primarily used to add flavor to food. It was used for that in Jesus' day. But more than that, it was used as a preservative. It was the best preservative that they had. Um, it, It was to, you added this to food to prevent it from rotting. If you don't add a preservative to food, chemicals change it, bacteria invades it, and it rots. Right? You've experienced this. Jesus is saying, when you're living out there in the culture, you are the... Preservative. You, Jesus follower, are the one who is supposed to preserve all that is good and all that is right and all that is holy and all that is pure. Your job, your calling, your role in the kingdom is to preserve what is good and right. If you don't, things will rot. So, Jesus follower, if you are sick and tired of watching our culture Rot, if you feel like our culture is rotten, maybe it's not our culture's fault. Maybe our culture hasn't had preservatives being preservatives. Maybe our culture just needs a Jesus follower to be salt. Maybe your job. Need someone there to just preserve what is right and good and not let things rot. When something rots, you always want to find out why. If our culture is rotten, maybe we should stop blaming culture. Maybe we should be better preservatives. Maybe we should be salt. After all, Jesus said, you are. The exclusive only salt. You're the only hope. You're all our culture has to preserve right and true and good. But Jesus wasn't done. You are the light of the world. And what's crazy is where Jesus is sitting on this little hillside, you can look up just to the right where Jesus probably would have been sitting. You can look just up to the right and there's another hill. And on the top of that hill is a little city called Safed. And what was really interesting about the cities in the day of Jesus was you didn't just plant a city randomly. You had to have soil to grow stuff. You had to have water. And you had to have a position that was defensible so that the enemy couldn't just come and take everything or kill you. And so every city at that time in history was built on a hill because they're so easy to defend. You have to climb up a hill to attack it. And every city had a big wall, and every wall was plastered. And most of the city walls were white. And what's crazy is, even today you can go to Israel and you can see white plaster walls just reflecting the sun. You can see a city on a hill for miles in the day, much less at night when everybody's got their oil lamps burning. You can see those cities for miles. And they were placed in those strategic locations on purpose. Jesus says, you're that city. Now, I just live here because... Well, all of the all of the, my family has lived here. Nope, you're a Jesus follower. He's strategically placed you right where you are. No, I'm here because my spouse got a job here. No, if you're a Jesus follower, you're here because Jesus has strategically placed you there. I'm I'm just here for my job. No. You're here if you're a Jesus follower because Jesus has strategically placed you there. He has He has need of you where you are to be that salt. To preserve what is good. It's not an accident that you are where you are. It's not random that you are where you are. If you're a Jesus follower, you've been strategically placed there. But Jesus wasn't done. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, A lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Light always reveals truth, doesn't it? If you don't want to know what you look like, don't look in a mirror with a light on. If you don't want to know what you look like, don't film a video and then sit and watch it. Light always reveals truth, and light always reveals the way forward. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, that's your job. I've strategically placed you where you are, and now your role is to shine. Shine your little light so that people can see truth, so that people can see the way, so that people aren't lost. You are to preserve what's good and right, and you are to show the way to the truth, being a light. So, thank you, worship leaders, for coming up early. That's awesome. That means I'm done. They have a a timer, like, when we move, you're done, dude. Okay, I'm out. So here's the bottom line. To settle for Christian is to settle for less than what Jesus gives. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there is a better way. The better way is following Jesus, and it's not a semantical debate. It's not, a, it's not the same word that means the same things. It's just not. To follow Jesus is very defined. And so my question to you today, if you're a Jesus follower, what if you just decided, you know what, I'm going to just kind of shed the label Christian. I'm not going to worry about that because it means so many things. It means everything and it means nothing. And so I'm, I'm just going to shed that just for tomorrow. Let's just say we did this for tomorrow, not for your whole life. That'd be silly. But just for tomorrow, what if we just went to the places where we work or went to school or did whatever we're going to do tomorrow? And instead of labeling ourselves with this label that means nothing and everything, what if we said, you know what, right here where I am, I am salt. And I'm here on purpose. And I am light. If you went to work tomorrow, and before you got there, or or if you interacted with your family and before you did, or if you went to school tomorrow and before you did, you just kind of said to yourself, I'm strategically placed where I'm about to go because God needs me to be salt and light there. I'm telling you, your world would be different. I'm telling you, it would look different. It would, Dylan. It just would. And your life would be better (laughs) because anytime you pick up what Jesus lays down for you, it's better. Anytime you're following Jesus, it's better than settling for something less than. And so the question is, how? Well, how do I go where I work, where I live, where where I'm getting educated? If God has placed me there, great. But how do I be salt and how do I be light? May I suggest that you just go right on back to the words of Jesus where he said, I have a new command for you. Love each other. As I have loved you, so you must love each other. That's our calling. That's the way of Jesus. That's bigger than Christian. That is discipleship. That is to follow the way of our Savior. So I want to pray for you. Can we pray for just a second? God, I want to pray for everyone here who would who would claim to follow you, that would claim to be a Christian. Lord, help them. Help them to embrace the calling that you have placed on their lives. Not just to get a get-out-of-hell-free card and call it good, but you have placed this task, this role, this calling on their life to represent you where they are, to be salt and preserve what is good where they are, to be light and point people to you where they are. May we settle for nothing less. What a waste of life and a waste of time to settle for anything less than what you have offered to us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be like you and to follow you. Pray in your name.